So, thematically, what do you think we're talking about today? Rocket ships. Close. Wonder. What? Ding, 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 ding. Today we're talking about the ascension of Jesus. Space travel, that kind of stuff. So, we're concluding our series uh, today. We're going to have a recap next week of the series that's been called The Wonder and All of This. Um, and in the series, we've looked at Jesus as different types or different ways that he comes to us. So Jesus as Savior, friend, teacher, and Lord. And so this week, we're going to conclude with the idea of Jesus as, t- as a Lord, specifically looking at the ascension of Jesus and how that points to him as Lord. Uh, Laura last week did part one, and she did a really great job talking about the difference between Savior and Lord, the practical things in our heart that we both need Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's not one of these things that we want to divorce any of these, but Jesus comes to us and brings different things uh, through each of these different titles, through each of these different uh, ways he interacts with us. And so Jesus can come to us as our Savior, and that's focused on his love and his mercy being poured out to us. And that's something really important and key so that we don't just do this Christian thing on our own 
and think that we're okay in and of ourselves, but that the mercy and grace of God actually comes to us first. His love comes to us first, so then we can return and respond to that love towards him and others. But the Lord nature of Jesus, as Laura pointed out, is about obedience and purpose and mission and surrender. And a lot of times we can be okay with the mercy and grace stuff, but with the obedience and the surrender part, that's a little bit harder. But Jesus comes and he gives both of these good things to us, both him as our Savior and him as our Lord. So today we'll be looking at the ascension. The ascension proper is seen in two different places in the scripture, although it's all over the place, but the ascension story uh, specifically. Uh, uh, Liam, can you wiggle the mouse? Wiggle it up. Wiggle it that way. Wiggle it that way. Uh, Okay, just keep it there. So the ascension. So this is from Luke uh, chapter 24. Jesus led the disciples. This is after his resurrection. This is after his resurrection. Jesus led the disciples out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So this is the ascension story. This is the part in Jesus' narrative here on earth that we're going to be looking at today ever so briefly. And there's a lot of stuff, uh, good stuff, that is in here. But let me me pray and then we'll get to uh, more of the story. God, thank you for this morning. We pray that you would be found both in the text in the preaching of your word, and in the relationships that are formed uh, among one another today. We pray that we uh, come away uh, maybe with some new head knowledge, but also a greater sense of wonder in who you are as Lord. And I also ask Holy Spirit that you would help us to wrestle with you as Lord where we need to, that we would not hide anything from you but in places in our lives where um, either we're just like, I'm not following you, or if you're Lord, why are things like this? If you are ruler and master of all, why are things like this? So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and walk us through those internal struggles that we have, and also uh, release in us a spirit of wonder um, that helps us to understand and worship and connect with you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I'll be jumping around um, some of the different points in Scripture today. I'll be mostly in John and in Luke, a little bit of Acts, a little bit of Daniel here or there. Um, but so here are the, th- the three, uh, the three uh, stopping points today. One, the ascension, essential embarrassment, homecoming and humanity, and crowned and coming again. These are the three sections today. So the ascension is an essential plot point in the life of Jesus, and yet it's probably one of those that we often don't talk about the, the most, right? We talk a lot about his death. We talk a lot about his resurrection. Christmas time, we come and we talk about the, the incarnation, which is um, complicated in and of itself. But the ascension tends to be one of those things in uh, liturgy and maybe especially in um, the, the church circles that we're in that we don't talk about a lot. And yet in other traditions, there's an ascension Sunday specifically where it's celebrated. There is the talk about it, and it is an essential part of the story of Christ. It's not something that we should just be like, let's just put it on the side. 
but it's something that we should engage with our mind and with our hearts. And uh, the scriptures show this by just including it in the Gospels, first of all. But also the idea of ascension is all throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, that are ultimately pointing to Jesus' ascension. The early creeds mention the ascension. So the early creeds were these... um, these uh, small letters that boiled down what are the essentials of the Christian faith. And they boiled it down to like in the Greek and the Latin, it was like 83 words for the Apostles' Creed and 102 words for the Nicene Creed. So let's take all this. We know we can't capture the fullness of everything that God is or of our Christian life, but w- what are the essentials? Let's boil it down to here. And it usually talks about the story of Christ. And in that, it doesn't skip the ascension. That it only has 102 words to say this, or it only uses 102 words, and we're going to make sure that the story of the ascension, even if we don't talk about it a lot, is in there, because it is essential, because it is something that is very important into the life of Christ, because it happened, and also into the life of his church here on earth. Uh, but also, in some regards, especially to modern readers, it can seem like an embarrassment. And I've... Uh, uh, understood this embarrassment both on a practical level in talking to some people and also in an academic level in reading papers and and everything like that. Because from the modern mindset, many people can be cool with Jesus as teacher, like an ethical teacher. He came, I'm going to teach you how to live. Challenging, absolutely. But then when we get into the transcendence of God, when we get into the transcendence of the Lord, then things get a little bit more complicated. And yet those are distinct things that are and need to be part of the story when we tell it. It can get a little bit weird. And so kind of the bookends of Jesus' story are kind of the weirder parts, right? So we have Jesus was born of a human virgin with no earthly father but a divine father. Now, as churchgoers, we might be like, yeah, yeah, right? But just stop and think about that. Really? There's something transcendent by definition in the fact that that happened. That the way that babies are made does not happen usually by a, uh, a virgin woman. So that's kind of weird. And then at the end of his earthly ministry, the ascension, where he is um, becoming Superman, right? Up, up, and away, he goes. And where did, where did, where did he go? Is he like in Jupiter? Or where did, where did he go with that? And this is a struggle, and maybe you never thought about it, and I don't want to put any kind of struggle on, on this with you, but it's actually something that Jesus talks about. Um, in following him, these kinds of things, these kind of transcendent things, or these things that he's talking, even as a teacher, in a very symbolic but serious way. And we need to take them seriously. Um, And uh, I don't believe that the ascension is symbolic. Um, I believe it actually happened, however you want to say that. Um, But there's other things. So this is from John 6. This is coming out of the, the discourse where Jesus is talking to a crowd about Uh, yeah, if you want to be part of me, you need to eat my flesh and you need to drink my blood. Again, as maybe people in the church, we understand that a little bit more, but if you just think on that on a base level, and a lot of the people that were listening to Jesus at that time turned away because we can't can't understand this. You're asking too much. It might be a little bit too weird. It goes against our cultural and religious upbringing, we're not getting what you're saying, Jesus. I wish you were a clear communicator. Okay? So he says this. When many of Jesus' disciples heard this about the eat my flesh, drink my blood, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, 
do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at this? So the thing that I just said, that if you, need to be, if you want to be part of me, you need to believe in me. And to believe in me is to, to eat my flesh and to drink my blood. Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What if you were to see this? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so that there is something that Jesus even gives credence to. Maybe the disciples in the first century didn't have the same questions we do about some of the things. We're of a different mindset, um, you know, 2,000 years later a little bit. But yet we can still wrestle with these things. And we kind of, if we give time, sometimes we grumble about them. Like, I don't, I'm cool, again, with Jesus' teacher, maybe even my friend. But once he goes uh, transcendent, once he goes a little bit crazy, then I don't know. That just seems like science fiction, right? Rather, that seems like a religious myth that isn't true rather than something that is true. And it's really hard to grasp. So it's in these hard places of God's reality, not seemingly aligning up with our view of reality, that trust is required, right? So in, in the scripture, it says here, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And some things in the Christian faith, and I'm not telling you not to think and not to see clerically, uh, clarity in your minds, but there are still things in the Christian faith throughout all times that you can't just rationally justify. And I'm not saying that we become a superstitious people, but I am saying that we need to remain a people that trust in what God says, even if we don't quite get it. And we want to be careful with our interpretations. We want to be careful with the words that, well, Jesus meant this, but yet we don't want to just not take it seriously. Say, it doesn't matter. Let's skip over the ascension. Let's skip over that whole eating flesh and drinking blood. Uh, who, who wants to do that? But no, to actually enter into a conversation within the church with one another and with the Spirit of God, like, we need revelation on this. We need revelation on this. And it's hard because then intellectually speaking, we have to come to the place and realize that I, that you, are not God. That I am not Lord of all, and you are not Lord of all. And even we together in the most, the best parts of humanity are not Lord of all. And so that there's a trust there um, to submit myself to something outside of myself ultimately rather than to ultimately just trust in what I have in and of myself. But that there's something outside of us that is God himself, Christ himself that completes us. So these are hard places, but um, another hard place um, is not just this thought, but it's also taking it down into your life. And I'm going to ask Angie and Tessa to come up. So another point of offense when we think about Jesus as Lord of all is this idea that at times it doesn't look like Jesus has power, authority, or superiority. That he's not actually manifesting himself to me. Oh, I can get the idea that Jesus created everything, that God created all of the cosmos, that all of the universe and everything, like that's almost like so big and so grand, it's almost easier to believe that because it's so huge. But then when it gets funneled down into our life, well, if you can do that, God, why is my life a wreck? Why aren't you exhibiting your lordship over my life? If you can take care of all things, if all things are held in your hand, what's going on with my life? 
And I don't want to play the, the devil's advocate. I, I believe that God is sovereign over all things and he works all things uh, to the good of those that believe and trust in him and all, uh, ultimately for his creation. But there's also this, this concept of like, we do have free will, people. And that things, um, our free will and other people's free will interact in ways that is not necessarily the Lord's will. Is he always in it trying to redeem things, trying to put the broken pieces packed together? Yes, obviously. But then there's times where we're just like, I, I, I don't feel like I was in the wrong. I don't feel like I did this or that and crazy stuff happened and somebody died. You know, why is it that this person is sick with cancer? Why is it that this person that I lost my child? Why is it that uh, my, I got fired from my job? Why is it that I'm so confused in what the purpose of my life is? God, if you are Lord, why aren't you speaking clearly these things to me? And so the offense that we can uh, uh, have in considering Jesus as Lord is not just this intellectual thing about, um, you know, where is Jesus and um, the things that he asks us to trust in generically, but also right here, right now in our lives. And so I want you to take 30 seconds and I want you to think about that in your life. Where does it seemingly seem, where does it seemingly take place that, like, it doesn't feel like Jesus is Lord, that Jesus um, is exercising his love and power and authority in your life? Where is that place? Tessa and Angie are going to share a creative poem dealing with this very question, Lord of my life. Uh, when we had <clears throat> a equipping class a couple months ago now, we listed all the things as far as which was, which was at the top. Savior was at the top. Lord was at the bottom. Teacher was at the top. Uh, friend was at the bottom. You know, we all shared that with one another. And um, mine at the time was Lord at the bottom, meaning like I felt most distant from that because of some of the questions I brought up. Uh, Tessa also shared that this was one of her questions that she felt um, uh, least close to that aspect of who Jesus was at this time. And so in processing that, in uh, listening to the spirit inside of her head and wrestling with that, she created this piece. And so um, I would ask you to, to listen and hear the thing I would, uh, listen however you want, but also listen for the struggle, right? That we're presenting ourselves before the Lord and this back and forth that we can uh, be in as far as like things don't seem to be lining up. And I know I'm not God, but God, can you kind of, can you speak? Can you say something? Can you show me something? So let's just take 30 seconds and think about that uh, in and of ourselves. And then they will start uh, with the creative poem. You are Lord of creation and Lord of your life. I sing triumphantly, confidently, knowingly. You are Lord of creation and Lord of my life. Lord of your life. Peace. You are Lord of creation. And Lord of your life. You have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. You've been placed at the right hand of God and make intercession for those who are made righteous by your blood. In the power that God has given you, you choose to cover our sin and to make us blameless. The rocks cry out in worship. The seas crash to praise your name. You are Lord of creation. And Lord of your life. And Lord of my life. Peace. Lord of my abandoned, grasping, I am with you. wondering, and lacking, I left will behind, never 
leave you. Lord, of my trapped in my doubting, my reaching and shouting. You turn a deaf ear to my knocking. And the door will be. My knuckles bruise from the banging. On a door that's still closed to me. Locked without a key. Opened. I've been for miles out wandering. I am the good shepherd. And I can't help but wonder. I love my sheep. Hey. I leave the 99 to find you. You are Lord of my life. Peace. Lord of my chaos, my you crumbling, will not fall. her brother's bedroom, Peace. the torn hen, the I trembling. I will uphold you. Lord of too ugly, too fat, too I unknowing. You Lord of too pretty, she I knows what know she's you. doing. Lord of the photos on the table, every Peace. eye gazing, the accusations, the blaming, I the naming. I have named you. Lord of my prayers and unmatched holiness, my light. the bruised knees and despair, my yoke is ever easy. bent, never rising. Come rest in me. Lord of the cost. The cost. The cost of the child the lost, never knowing the cost of the ties that bind and are binding, entangling, strangling, pursuing, defining. You are Lord of creation. And Lord of your life. And Lord of my life. And Lord of your life. Lord of my life. Peace. The heavens split on that Sunday when I prayed because I loved you. The relief and the sigh when the news came that it was all through. The hungry bellies full of bread. The weary finding rest in a feather bed. The answer to the question what I've done away with the asking. The embrace, the word spoken, the doorbell ringing, the door The daughter, the son, the grace in your timing, the water and wine, and the newness in finding that you are Lord of my life. You have saved me and are saving me. I am Lord of your life. Molding me and making me. Holy and blameless. Holding me and naming me. As a mother with her child. And I hear it. In the noise, in the deafening sound of living. Peace. And I feel it in the struggling, in the fighting you, and often missing. Peace. I'm listening to you. You are speaking. Peace. Peace. I'm wrestling with you. And in that wrestling, sometimes touching you, Lord of creation. And Lord of your life. And Lord of my life. Thank you, ladies. I didn't put enough emotional processing time in my outline between that section and this section. Homecoming and humanity. Again, we're talking about the ascension and Jesus is Lord. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about Jesus being the Messiah, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion? among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? Where I am going, you cannot come. The ascension points back to where Jesus came from, that Jesus did not 
become the Messiah. He's always been the Messiah. Manifested and realized in our time and our realm. So part of the ascension is linking it to this homecoming. That he wasn't just a good man that ultimately made to the, you know, the 57th level of heaven or whatever. And that made him the Messiah. No. That this story is different. That he was with God since the beginning. And through all things, he was also there as they were created. That he was sent out of the Father's love. To our realm. That he grew in grace and in truth, but he was still the Messiah. He was still both God and both man. And then he's returning. So they're like, what, what do you mean? Where are you going? You're return- Where are you going to go? Are you going to go to the far edges and talk to the Greeks, to the, to the non-Jewish people, and spread this message that we're not going to be able to find you there? No, he's saying that I'm going to return to my home. He's going to have this homecoming, and part of the ascension is linking it back to the fact that he's not going to a new place He's returning to an old place. But now there's going to be something new that happens. Because we ultimately know at the end of the story, in Revelation, there's a new heaven and a new earth that are married together. And so not only is this about a a homecoming, it's also very much so about humanity. That Jesus was fully God, is fully God, and was fully man. Is fully man. So listen to this this quote from uh, N.T. Wright, who's talking about the ascension, trying to like understand. It says, "This Jesus, who has gone now into God's dimension, until the time when the veil is lifted and God's multi-dimensional reality is brought together and all its glory, is the human Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't a ghost. He was flesh and blood. Had some pretty cool new properties." could walk through stuff and he super mario jumped but he was human he was flesh he bears human flesh and the marks of the man-made nails and spear to this day in heaven as he lives within god's dimension not far away but as near to us as breath itself a doctrine of heaven focused on the ascension can never be used as a way of diminishing the value of humanity On the contrary, it affirms the true and lasting value of being human. The risen Jesus was more human, not less, than he was before. His risen humanness is the affirmation of his previous humanness, only now without the frailty and the dying, which before then he shared with the rest of us. His resurrection is thus God's way of saying that there is such a thing as genuine humanness. The human life is not a sick joke, promising everything and giving nothing. The ascension is the affirmation that God has taken the fully human, deeply and richly human being, Jesus, and has embraced him to himself within his own dimension, his own space, making him indeed Lord of the world. God always intended that his human creatures would inherit the world, the created order, to rule over it with wisdom and gentleness, to bring in order And to enhance its beauty. In the ascended human Jesus, that vision is in principle realized. He is the first fruit not only of resurrection, but he's the first one that goes and prepares a place for us in the heavenly realm 
so that there's a homecoming and yet there's a coming again where these two, these two dimensions of reality, of heaven and earth, that the veil is going to be lifted. And it's by him taking the form of, uh, in the flesh and human as incarnation and then taking that still incarnate, in the flesh, humanness and ascending to the Father that makes that possible. The body of Jesus first in his birth, that, uh, that was the end of the quote, the body of Jesus first in his birth brought the fullness of divinity into the human space. And then through the ascension, brought the fullness of humanity into God's space. And so while we really want to hold on to this resurrected Jesus, we actually need to let him go. Because resurrection isn't the ultimate thing. Reconciliation is. And resurrection is obviously needed in so many ways. But let us not cling to just the resurrection. Let us also realize that reconciliation between people, between heaven and earth, between God and humanity and the destruction of death is one of the ultimate goals. So we see, uh, again, somebody else wrestling with this. Jesus died, rose again. First person, the first apostle of Christ was a woman. She went to the grave. Grave was open. He wasn't there. Had this weird exchange. She didn't know who she was talking to. Says, Mary, kind of like, Mary, it's me. It's Jesus. And then this is said, Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers. First time that Jesus ever calls his disciples, my brothers in the scripture after the resurrection and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. And it's interesting that he doesn't say to our God. Because I think he's really trying to make this thing. Things have changed because of the resurrection. That sin, death, and the grave has been ultimately defeated, even though we still obviously feel that and the pain and the sorrow of that now. But that he's the first fruit of the resurrection. He's saying, my father and your father. Tying his humanity to our humanity. To my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. And so she goes and she is the first apostle that is sent by Jesus to tell the other disciples what is going on. So ascension is not only about homecoming, it's also about the coming back of that and the humanity that went into the heavenly realm. And that's, I, like, that could, I could think about that a long time, Right? I'm not a resurrected body, so I guess it doesn't apply. But like a human body translated or interpreted into a different realm. Now we're getting into some cool modern physics stuff. And in fact, I, I, I read some things. Uh, if anybody wants to geek out on hyperspace and on uh, space-time and all these other physics concepts in association with the ascension, I have a paper for you. I didn't understand half of what was being said, but I was just like, it's interesting taking our modern things and just, you know, just trying to figure out how might this have happened. I don't think we're ever going to know until we get to heaven, but it's really interesting for me. But before the ascension happened, the resurrection had to happen. And before the resurrection, the crucifixion had to happen. Before Jesus was lifted up 
at the ascension from the earthly realm into the heavenly realm. He was lifted up from the grave and he was in that grave because we, sinful humanity, lifted him up from the earth on a cross because we wanted a different Lord than the true Lord. But in allowing the crucifixion to happen, Jesus publicly displayed what kind of Lord he is. And so we're going to break now. There's part two, don't worry, of the ascension that we're going to do. But we're going to break and we're going to do communion now. We're going to remember that the type of Lord Jesus is, is the Lord that sacrificed himself. That, father, that, that followed uh, God the Father's goodwill and that he laid it all on the line in order to redeem creation, in order to redeem sons and daughters of every tribe and language and tongue and nation, everybody. And so we're going to have communion as we have in the sukkah, in the tabernacle. Uh, the communion uh, servers can go over there. The crackies will be in the back over on this side. And they're going to be there to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything today, go see Steve and Vicki. And they would love to pray for you. Maybe some of that stuff that you felt when you reflected for two minutes about, man, I just can't see the Lord in my life right now in this situation. Maybe you could ask them to pray for that situation for you. We are not going to have lyrics on the screen during this time. I would encourage you not to look up here, but to look around at one another, to you know maybe um, reflect and focus on words, singing, sure, but also on who Jesus is through the elements. Ryan is going to read uh, a point of scripture, uh, and then once the scripture is done being read, the table is open and prayer will be open also. So Father, we thank you for the fact that you sent the Son And Jesus, right now we want to remember the type of Lord that you are. A Lord that was hung on a cross. A Lord that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Someone that had all dominion and power and authority and did not exercise it to manipulate. But someone that also challenged us over and over again and continues to do so with his words and with his life. And you are that Lord. You are that Savior. You are that friend. You are that teacher. So we worship you through communion. We remember your body broken, the blood of the new covenant. And we ask that you would draw all men and women and children to yourself as you are lifted up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ryan will do a reading and then the table is open. Communion reading from John 12. Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in the world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from the heaven. I have glorified it, 
and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the heaven, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. By the way, my loving wife just told me I I spelled embarrassment wrong. I feel embarrassed about that. Welcome to Cornerstone, where the pastor of teaching can't spell words. Just... (laughs) Okay. Uh, Second part, crowned and coming again. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of this story Uh, Before it gets to the screen, this is from Acts chapter 1. So when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then picking up here. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So part of the ancient Near Eastern cosmology, and that's just a fancy word for like, how do we spatially understand things? You know, like there's the earth and then like there's the sky and now we know there's space. Um, This has changed throughout thousands of years as different discoveries have been made as clarification kind of of how things worked has happened. But in the first century in their cosmology, uh, the disciples um, thought that to some degree that heaven was above the earth, right? And so in the sky, um, physically, like that's where it is. Um, And that the earth was below. So more modernly, we recognize the fact that the heavenly realm is more like another dimension. So if we get on an airplane and we take the 747 Southwest Airline Flight 5592 and we go searching in the sky, we're not going to bump into heaven. Okay, that's just, uh, uh, it's, it's not there in that way. So uh, you can't access the heavenly realm just by going there. And that for the, um, uh, the first disciples in the ancient Near East, like that, that gap there, there's no way we're going to be able to get up there. You know what I mean? So that was a dimension in and of itself to them. It was as far away to us as whatever the farthest thing is that we can't reach now, you know? So it was this other dimension. 
And so there was this um, difference of cosmology that was going on there. So you can't access heaven just by flying a plane up into the sky and somehow get to it. That's not where heaven is. Uh, it's in another dimension. Uh, but Jesus was lifted up into the heavenly realm. But Jesus didn't need to float up to wherever, right? He could have just, he could have just been in front of Matt as a disciple talking to him, and he could have just translated into the heavenly realm. He didn't need to be lifted up, so to speak, to get to heaven for a cloud to envelop him. So if that was not a need, what was going on and why did it happen that way? So there's a couple, there's a couple different things going on here. Um, what's my next slide? Nope. Okay, so the crucifixion was humanity's mocking of Jesus. It was humanity's mocking of Jesus as what specifically? Think about the crucifixion story. King, right. So the crucifixion was humanity's mocking of Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King. Crowning him with thorns, dressing him in purple, which would be a royal color. And then also declaring that he was what? King of the Jews as his crime. That's the crucifixion, humanity crowning Jesus in a mockery. The ascension was God crowning Jesus as king in front of his disciples. So in the surrounding pagan cultures, there's all kinds of stories that are very, very similar to the ascension. There's different pagan myths, different Greek myths, where you have somebody that um, is either a person being lifted up into the heavens or this man king, and a lot of times emperors and kings in the days would uh, almost be placed on as they were part God, or they were going to be God. There was a deification of this. And they would also um, be deified into this godlike stature that wasn't uncommon in the day. So this isn't a new picture, so to speak. In the Jewish culture, the ascension parallels some other places, specifically in the apocalyptic literature of the prophet Daniel. So this is out of Daniel uh, chapter 7. As I, Daniel, looked, thrones were placed. So he's having this vision, okay? And the Ancient of Days, uh, for, that's, that's say that's God the Father, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. So this is like the divine council. In the heavenly realm, court is in order. Thousands of people, judges, juries, blah, 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 blah. That's the picture. The night vision continues a couple um, verses later. I saw in the night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so we have these two surrounding things that are going on. We have the pagan mindset of what's like if a, if a Greek 
was to see this ascension happening. There'd be something in his or her mind. And as a Jew is watching this ascension happening, again, even if it's weird, there'd be something going on in their mind. And so again, if the ascension is God crowning Jesus as king, the ascension is the imaging of the, to the Jewish mind that Jesus is this son of man who has been given dominion over all. And to the pagan minds, it's displaying that Jesus is Lord, not these other gods, not these other emperors. The lordship of Jesus is exclusive. And so as a Jew, you need to worship him as the visible Yahweh. And what did in the Luke passage, what did they do? When he ascended, they what? They worshiped. They worshiped as he ascended. And as a pagan being um, transformed by this, you can't have any other gods in addition to this son of man and to this Lord. For he is Lord of all and he is crowned and he is coming again. So the ascension, homecoming, humanity, but also it's the coronation service. That where we mockingly put Jesus as king, This is a place where God in front of the disciples was crowning Jesus as king. And it's also um, one more thing that's important. It's a coming back. It's a coming again. The Lord of all, the son of man, Jesus is saying that you, church, are to take care of things. That his spirit will be with us and will not abandon us. You know, the ascension can kind of be looked at as, is Jesus just taken off? Is he abandoning us? Earlier in John, he says, I will not abandon you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. So I'm not abandoning you, but I will not be here in the way I was previously here. And in fact, for the benefit of creation and for the benefit of you, I need to go away so I can send what? The Holy Spirit. But make no mistake, I am coming back. So it's like a great 80s teen movie, right? where the kids have the house to themselves for the weekend and they need to decide how are they going to live? And are we going to trash creation? Are we going to do whatever we want while mom and dad aren't around in that way? Are we going to take care of things? Are we going to get in a fight with our siblings? Are we we going to work at uh, reconciling the, the neighbor that we have that annoys us? We're just going to sit back and watch Netflix, Netflix and chill, Instagram, right? Right, Trey, Trey, right? Yeah, cool. I always have to pick on Trey once. So we can disagree about God's decision to do this. And sometimes we probably do. Like, what are you thinking? Why would you leave? Why not? As the disciples said earlier, when are you going to restore things? Let's, let's get this, uh, let's get this love boat on the way. It's like, it's not, it's not for you to know the time and the seasons that the Father has set. So we can disagree on God's decision, and yet this is how it is. And again, there's a level of trust that he is a good God, and a good Father, and a good Savior, and that he knows what he's doing. But we need to stay connected to Jesus, to the Father, through prayer, through reliance on the Spirit and the Word that he has already given us. And we are to be servant leaders that can only truly function as we're meant to do when we give credence to the fact that I have power here on earth. And if you have ever been told that you don't have any power, you do have power as an image bearer of God. The question is not, uh, it's not power is evil. It's how are we going to exercise our power and our authority? 
And so the ascension is almost a commissioning. The ascension is a commissioning of the fact that I'm going to go here and do this. I'm going to send you the spirit. But you guys, you men and women of God, church, we got work to do. As servants to the Lord cornerstone, may we worship the ascended and exalted Lord and hear the commission and the hope that the angels spoke to the first disciples, right? Men and women of cornerstone, why do you stand looking into heaven? Know that Jesus will return. We don't have to be disconnected from him, and yet we also long for his return. So as we, as we uh, con- conclude or continue thinking about the ascension, um, take, take those words to heart, that the ascension is also a commissioning of us. Resurrection is a cleansing of us, right? Breaking that power. And yeah, things aren't perfect. We know this. We should engage sorrow just as we should engage joy. But the ascension is Jesus saying, church, you have responsibility to love and to cultivate the world. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm coming back. And when I'm coming back, things are going down in a good way, in a hard way, but ultimately in a good way. So let's stand um, as we conclude uh, with a final song today. I'm going to pray over us. Spirit, we ask, um, Jesus said that it was to our benefit that you were sent. So we want to receive that, even if we wrestle with Jesus not being, uh, quote unquote, in the flesh like he was before. And we ask you to lead us and guide us in all truth. May our lives be marked uh, with humility and power and grace to figure out things because we don't have things figured out. We need reformation. We need revival. uh, And we need your presence most of all and a, a heart that is willing to intentionally and purposefully be like, oh, you are Lord of all. How can I serve you? And we are so thankful for the type of Lord that you are. And so we worship you and we hear your commission also um, to go and to love and cultivate the world around us, God. Keep us close. Help us to be ready. Uh, God, help our lamps inside of us, like our souls, our spirits, whatever you want to say, our internal selves, stay in line with you. And connected to you, that we don't just become busybodies that are doing something else besides um, living the life that you have called us to. We rest in the fact that you are the ascended Lord. We rest in the fact that you are Lord over all. And we will wrestle with you when we can't see that. Thank you for wrestling back with us and caring that much. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen.